You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. So this past weekend, I don't know if, if any of you knew this, but there was a, a great event that was played out in, in, uh, in Scotland. And it went through the weekend, last, this past weekend, and it ended up going into uh, Monday. There was uh, extreme conditions, blizzard-like conditions. There were um, a lot of talent there was a lot of uh, eagles, not E-A-G-L-E-S, but E-G-O, apostrophe S. A lot of eagles, a lot of people full of themselves. And um, there, was a, there was one golfer that came out on top. It was the British Open. And so at the end of the day, there was a guy by the name of Zach Johnson that he won the title. And that glass cup, that, that, that coveted cup that people want to get, and when you look at Zach Johnson, he doesn't hit the ball the furthest of everyone in the field. He's not the most charismatic. He's not the sharpest dressed. You, you have uh, Ricky Fowler to take care of that. He's oftentimes overlooked but at the end of the weekend he held up the trophy and he was very very happy and blessed to win this this wonderful wonderful prize he's what stood out to me as i watched the 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 closing of that tournament is that he expressed his his delight in tears and humility. I want to show just a little clip. And before we put the clip on, give, give me a second. Zach Johnson's a Christian. And you're going to hear words that he's going to express, that Christians express. So let's put that clip on real quick. Thank you. S- did you hear the words? He said some, something like, I'm grateful, I'm humbled, I'm thankful. I'm honored. There was scripture that was going through my head. And I want to thank the Lord. He was happy, yet he was sorrowful. Because he was thankful for the gift of God working in him and through him. You know, Tony, when you came up here, you were happy, but yet you were sorrowful. We're going on to the next beatitude, and and last week we learned about being poor in spirit, the foundation of how we can be truly happy. So as we go through this series, people want to know how to be happy. The word that the Bible uses for being happy is blessed. I'm blessed. Estoy bendecido. ¿Cómo estás? Estoy bien bendecido. I'm very blessed. 
And so as we look at the Bible and it tells us, Jesus taught us how to really be happy. Amen? Last week we learned that we have to be empty of ourselves, poor in spirit, so that we can be filled with God. That's the first way foundational to be happy. And then, and then Jesus goes on and he said this, second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are those who are sad. Now that's craziness for those in the world. Because the world's philosophy is so opposite. It's it's a very complete end of the spectrum right there. Life in the world is built around a foundation which tries desperately to keep you from mourning or sadness. It will entertain you. It will finance you. That word that came from Lily, talking about the ways of the world, it will energize you, keep you energized. It will keep you laughing at any cost, at any expense, no matter who I hurt, as long as I'm not sad, this signifies happiness in the world. But this is so far from the happy and the blessed life that the Bible describes. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are you when you mourn. Happy are you when you mourn. I titled this message, Tears of Joy. How many of you know that we can have tears of joy? Because as Christians, there is happiness in our sorrow. There is a comfort that comes from our cries. Because those who mourn in Christ are blessed. Those who mourn in Christ are comforted. So let me pray. Father, I just want to thank you for every person that is seated here in this second service. But more than anything, Lord God, we thank you for you being here. Jesus, you're the reason that we have a happy life. You're the reason that we can say that we're blessed. Holy Spirit, you comfort us and you help us in times of need and just pray you be with me that everything I say will be led of you and that it will bring glory to the name of Christ. And Heavenly Father, thank you that you're orchestrating your great plan and that you're letting it happen here at Living Word Chapel in Oracle and all over the world where Jesus is preached. We just pray that you will make your home here. That you'll be blessed with everything that is said as you bless us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was sitting down putting this message together and I was on my lazy boy at the house and the Lord kind of spoke to me and he said, you need the three R's. And I was like, what are the three R's? And so he, sh- he revealed to me that tears of joy come with a recognition of these three, three words that start with R. And the first word is recognition. The first point is recognition. We need to recognize some very important things in our life. You know, 
the, the writer of Proverbs, he says something that really stands out to, to, to me and it should stand out to us. The, he said, there is a path before each person that seems right. There's a, there's a road that every man and every woman takes that seems right, but it ends in death or it ends in destruction. And that road that every person has before us that seems right is a road called sin. And that road seems right because when we're on that road, it seems fun. It seems like if it's entertaining. It seems like if it's pleasing. But the Bible says that its destination comes to a place called death, or a destination comes to a place called destruction. And I think about a wonderful book that I recommend to everybody. It's written by uh, Andy Stanley. And he wrote a book called The Principle of the Path. And in that book, he says that every choice we make has a road. It has a, a direction that we're going to take. So you take this path, and uh, the reality is when you go down this road, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're on that road that you start with these choices, it will end up in a destination. It may start out with being promiscuous. You might start out and, and, uh, and you think to yourself, you know what, I just want to get to first base. And you get to first base, and first base is, a, you, you like it, right? At first, maybe your conscience bothers you, or maybe you're, you have conviction, but you get to first base, and before you know it, you like being there, and so you go to second base. And then you go to second base, and you go a little bit further than you did the first time. And then you get to second base, and then you say, well, let's go to third base. Huh? And I could say a lot of things, but I don't have to. I think your mind will go wherever I'm, where, where I'm going right now. You get to third base, and third base was, hey, I made it to third base. And then you go, and you make a home run. And you go all the way. And you feel probably bad about it because your conscience is telling you you probably should have waited until you're married or all these different things. And, 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 and you have conviction there. But you go there and you open up that door and, and because it was pleasurable or you, I love that person that I'm with. It doesn't matter what, what, it doesn't matter what anyone says. I love that person. You keep on going and before you know it, you keep going around those bases. And it's pleasurable for a season until you get to the place that is destroying you. Amen? Because that's what sin does. And, and so sometimes it might start with, with drinking. And some people can drink a beer or some wine and maybe one or two drinks a month. And, and some people can't. Some people, they drink and they, they, when they drink, they just drink and drink and drink and drink. Or maybe some people smoke and smoke and smoke or all whatever it may be. But there's something that you're doing. There's a, there's a path that you take and the destination is always the same. It doesn't matter what you say. You might say, I won't be like my uncle. I won't be like my brother. I won't be like my neighbor. I will not be that person. But you end up at that destination. There's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. Now think about that. Keep me happy at any cost. When we're in the world, this is the path that seems right. Keep me happy at any cost. It, it, it don't even matter if I hurt my mom or my dad. I don't care if I break up a marriage. I don't care if I step on toes as I climb the corporate ladder. As long as I'm happy, who cares? 
Christ followers are those who recognize that the path they were on outside of Jesus was leading them down a road to nowhere. We mourn because we realize that our sin is greater than our ability to overcome it. Our sin is greater than our own ability to be good or to be righteous or to be pious. We mourn because we begin to see sin as our problem and our dilemma and we are helpless of overcoming it alone. Anyone ever been there? The Bible tells us in, in Romans chapter 7, it says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So the Bible says that there's no one good. Even when we try to do good, we end up doing the things that we don't want to do. Anyone ever been there? Thank you for the eight honest people in the church. <laughs> a blessed life is one that recognizes the horrible effects of sin. And not only do you recognize the horrible effects of sin, but you begin to be sorrowful about it. Blessed are they who mourn because they will be comforted. You see, beloved, when, when I was in my sin... I'm talking about PJ here. Outside of Christ, it wasn't until the time that Christ came and began to open up my eyes and to see what that life was doing to me and to my family that I began to recognize sin for what it is. And every one of us in here, we all have something that we're going through or that we've gone through that, that we find out that we can't, we can't overcome it. And so that's where the writer of, of, of Romans says, the things that I want to do, those things I don't do, but the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. And then he goes on and he says in, in, in verse 24 and 25, oh, what a miserable person I am. I'm miserable. Who's going to free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who is going to free me? Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, miserable man that I am. Has anyone ever been there where you're just so miserable because at first that, that path, that, that, those things seem right to us. It seemed like the right thing to do, but you get to the place that it's, it's death and it's bringing destruction. It's destroying your individual life. It's destroying your marriage. It's destroying your relationships. It's destroying your parents. It's destroying all these different things and you come to the place that you're miserable. And you recognize that you need an answer. And the Bible says there is. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you see how the Bible, it shows us that there has to be a sense of remorse before you can ex experience the comfort and the joy of God? Do you understand that most people, and I talked about this last week, when, when you're, when you're uh, uh, poor in spirit, before you come to Christ, you're full of yourself. 
But most people that come to God, they say, there's something missing in my life. I, I feel empty. There's a hole in my soul. Because you're poor in spirit, you come to the place that you acknowledge that you're empty, that there's something not right, there's something not there, and so you're empty, and it's then that you cry out to God, and when you're empty and you're poor in spirit, then God fills you with himself. But then when he fills you with himself, then you begin to recognize sin for what it is. And before you thought it was pleasurable, now you think that it's sorrowful. When I look back at the things that I did outside of Christ... It makes me want to cry. I don't gloat in those things. I don't boast about those things. I think those things are vomit that I used to do. Before you can find the joy of God, you have to be sorrowful for the things that you've done. And when you're sorrowful, he gives you his grace. He gives you his compassion. He gives you his mercy. And he gives you his love. I love the way that Martin Lloyd-Jones put it. He said, he said, conviction must of necessity precede conversion. A real sense of sin must come before there can be true joy of salvation. The world will tell you, don't cry over your sin, laugh over your sins. The world will tell you, don't cry over your sin, hide your sins. The world will tell you, don't cry over your sin, call your sin pleasure. Call it fun. Call it free choice. It's my life. I can do whatever I want. Call it anything else. Just don't recognize it for what it is. You see, that's the ploy of the devil. Because as long as you don't recognize the reality of sin and its effects, you will never recognize your need for salvation and your need for a Savior who is Jesus Christ. But every person that's ever given their life to Jesus has always come to the place that they know that that sin is going to destroy your lives. How do I apply this, Pastor? What do I, what do, I do with this? How do I take an, a, an action step? Take time this week to recognize the effects of sin and also to embrace the wonderful restoration of God. You see, we have to recognize the, the, the negative effects of sin, which makes us look at our marriage in a different light. You'll look at your marriage different when you see what sin will do in your marriage. You'll look at your workplace different. You'll look at your world different when you look at what sin does in your life. I love this commentary, and I got it from theologyofwork.org. It said, the second beatitude builds on our mental recognition of our poverty of spirit by adding an emotional response of sorrow. When we face the evil in our own life, it saddens us. When we face the evil in the world, which includes possible evil in our workplace, that too touches our emotions with grief. The evil may come from ourselves, from others, or from sources unknown. In any case, when we honestly mourn evil words, evil deeds, evil policies on the job, God sees our sorrow and he comforts us with the knowledge that it will not always be this way. Why? Because God is always at work. God is always working in and through his people and he wants us to come to this place where we acknowledge what sin can do to our lives. Second thing, 
is not only is there a recognition, but there, got, there has to be repentance. Recognizing our sin is the first step to healing. You've got to recognize and it comes with godly sorrow, which is great. You, gotta, you, you cry over whether that's physical tears or whether that's your soul crying out. But turning away from our sin is where we realize the healing of God, and that also will come with tears. You know, Jesus, he'll always receive us where we are. He will always love us where we are, but he'll never leave us where we are. Are you with me? Jesus will receive you in the yuck that you come to him with. Jesus will love you in the yuck that you come to him. But Jesus will never leave you in the yuck that you came to him in. And thank him for that. There was a woman that was caught in adultery. John chapter 8 tells us a story. And this woman was caught in adultery. And, and all of her accusers, they, 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 they caught her and they took her and they brought her to the city square and they brought her before Jesus. And they were all laughing and saying how bad she was. She's an adulteress. She was caught in the very act and all these different things. And they keep telling her. And, and, and I picture her in sorrow. She's there crying because of the shame, because of the devastation that is happening to her in her life. And all these religious people are just telling, Jesus, what do we do with her? Look, she was caught. Look at who she is. Look at what she is. And it teaches me a lesson not to ever get religious and point the finger at other people that have had a failure. Amen? Because we all fall short of the glory of God. So Jesus looks at them, and you know the story. He writes on the, on the ground, on the dirt, and then he looks at them and he says, well, the one that has no, uh, no sin... You guys go ahead and throw that first rock, right? And so they all looked at each other. They looked at Jesus, and they all threw their rocks down because every one of them has a sin and many sins, just like every one of us in here. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And then Jesus, he looks up, and he, he straightens up, and he said to her, he said, woman, woman where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you. I don't condemn you either. But he didn't stop there. He said, go, and from now on, sin no more. In other words, I found you in your shame. I'm here, and I'm going to love you through your shame. I'm going to accept you in your shame. I'm going to accept you in your sin, and I'm never going to leave you, and I'm never going to forsake you, but I'm not going to let you continue to live your life there. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Blessed are us when we... When we look at our sin, when we look at sin seriously and we say, you know what, I cannot stay here. Blessed are you when you cry over that sin that is trying to destroy you. And every single one of us has something in our life that is trying to destroy us. Maybe it's something in your past that, that God freed you from and the devil waits for an opportune time and he throws that thought, he throws that person, he throws that bottle, he throws that whatever it may be and he says, if you just grab a hold of this, it's going to change your life. But he doesn't tell you it's going to change your life for the worse. That's what the devil does. And God says, not only should we be sorrowful, but we need to walk away from that. 
You see, we'll never have a blessed life. We'll never be truly happy until we turn away from the things that are trying to destroy us. Amen? We'll never be truly happy until we turn away from those things that are trying to destroy us. The Bible says, for the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. In other words, the the, the sorrow that God wants will lead us away from the things that are trying to destroy us. And that sorrow will lead us into life and will lead us into peace and will lead us into into a, a restoration. But the sorrow that comes from the world says you cry over sin, but you never walk away from it. You never repent. You never turn to God. And you stay wallowing in that sin. And it leads to continual spiritual death. God came to set us free. God came to take us away from that life. Look at what Peter said as he talked to the multitude. He said, repent and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped out and that times of refreshing will come from the hand of the Lord. That times of refreshing will come upon you from the Lord your God. Can I tell you something, beloved? God wants to refresh your spirit. But it will only come as we turn away from the things that are trying to destroy us and that Jesus came to save us from. Amen? He said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who feel bad about the things that you're doing where the devil is trying to destroy you, where the flesh is basking in this and all these. Blessed are you when you feel sorry for that because I will change your life. I will comfort you in your time of distress. Pastor, how do I apply this? The second step in our healing is turning away from the sin that is trying to destroy you. I don't even have to go into a lot of things. God is already putting things in your mind. There's something in your life. Maybe there's that conversation you're having with the opposite sex. Maybe at work or wherever it may be. Maybe it's those thoughts. Maybe you need to really take a hold of that and turn away. The Bible says flee from immorality. It doesn't say walk away from it. It says run. You run away from sin. You run. Let me tell you something, beloved. There's someone in here. You need to know this, that you're, 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 you're entertaining these things. And what you're entertaining is the, is the things that are satisfying the flesh, but you'll never satisfy the flesh. You'll never satisfy the lust of the flesh. And what happens is you're, you're, you, you get into a place and you actually, instead of being happy, you're going to be miserable. I love the way that Pastor Daniel Forster put it. He wrote a book called Blessed Are Those Who Mourn. And he says, Jesus wants your baggage. Stop lugging it around with you. Lay it at his feet. Stop trying to do it all on your own. Stop trying to prove yourself to everyone, including God. He wants honesty. He wants you to lay it at his feet and mourn so he can enter into your heart and comfort you. The second, the second application that you do is you take an action step. 
Repentance is an action step. Repentance is turning away. When you come to God, you you confess and you turn away from, from your old life and you come to Jesus and you embrace him. So here's the action step. You talk to God in prayer. Talk to God equals prayer. You talk to God, it equals prayer. That's just simply talking to God. God, this, you know what's before me. I, I can't do it on my own. God, I need your help. You start talking to him. And then you talk to someone you can trust. And that equals accountability. That means you're not on your, your, your own anymore. You're not, you're not trying to do it yourself. You have someone that's going to come alongside and pray for you. You trust them. They're going to pray for you. They're going to pray with you. And every couple of weeks, they're going to say, hey, how are you doing with this so that you can be accountable? You get in a small group where you will receive encouragement, and that equals support. You know, we have small groups at Living Word Chapel all over the place. They're all over the communities. And we don't do them just to do them. We do them because they're very necessary. We're better together. We need support. When I'm going through difficult things, I'm glad that I have people to support me, to pick me up, to lift me up. <clears throat> the last thing is you, the action step. You get in a ministry that's fitted to help you out of the suffering. And that equals healing. When I came to Jesus 22 years ago, I was a mess. I was a mess. I had opened up so many doors. I had opened up so many things from, from alcohol, drugs, sexual, you name them. I, you, can, you can probably name everything, and I'd be, <laughs> mm-hmm. I needed help. And there was a ministry called Freedom in Christ. <coughs> and God brought two special people. Their names are Mike and Ruth West, and he brought them into my 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 life and, my, and Shauna, my wife Shauna's life, and they began to take me through steps, and we began to renounce all the things that we had lived in, all the, thing, all the things we allowed the devil to do in our lives, and God set me free. And God set Shauna free, and we, we were honest with each other, and we talked about things that would make most people get divorced, and, 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 and we brought them to each other, and we were honest, and, and God healed our marriage. He healed our individual lives, and look at us now. Look at us now. We're not there yet, but God has done amazing work. And there's other ministries like uh, Theophostics, and and Theophostics, God shines his light through prayer into your heart, into your situation, and he sets people free. We have that here at Living Word Chapel. There's an action step. You've got to talk to someone about it. We have another ministry called uh, Celebrate Recovery, and and in CR, you know, they they deal with your hang-ups and with your hurts and with your other H, another H word, uh, habits. And, and, and so I, I see amazing, miraculous things happening through that ministry. I mean, just uh, this year, they, they gave out some coins of, of people that have been free from alcohol and drugs for a year, two years, five years. They get these coins, and they, and they put them in their pocket, and they say, look at what God's done. But you've got to take action steps. And there's, there's someone in here today that God is telling you, he's going to speak to your heart, you need to take an action step. 
You need to talk to God. You need to talk to someone you can trust and be accountable. Then you need to, you need to begin to uh, get in a small group and, and have people support you through your difficult th- things in life. And then you need to find a ministry that's going to help set you free so the devil won't have a hold on you anymore. Because the third R is the most important one, and that's that God came to restore us. Restoration. There's recognition that comes with the next step, repentance, but the whole goal is that God wants to restore you into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, Zach Johnson, as he, as he, we saw the clip and as he was sorrowful and yet happy and sorrowful and happy and I can't believe I won this prize and the, 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 the words that came out of his mouth, we, we, we have to grab a hold of that. He said, I'm grateful, I'm thankful, I'm humbled. The, uh, the, 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 the scriptures kept going through my head and I want to thank the Lord. Why was he so thankful? He was thankful because of the grace of God that was bestowed on him that he was able to even compete in the British Open. Most of us that have given our lives to Jesus, we mourn because we're so thankful because we didn't deserve his goodness. There's nothing in me that's good except for God. I got a text from a, my best friend in high school just this week, and he texted me and he said, Comps, compa, how you doing? What's going on? And I, said, I texted him back. I said, you know, we're doing well. My family's doing well. He said, well, I sent you that text because I heard you were in Central America. and You're all over the place. And that's amazing. All the things that you're doing, all the good things that you're doing was his text. And he kind of built me up and said all kinds of nice things. And I texted him back and I said, Compa, can I tell you something? The only thing good in me is Jesus because he saved my life. You see, Jesus comes to restore us. Jesus came to restore you. He came to change your life. And we can never forget about the grace of God. We mourn because we don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve his forgiveness. But Jesus died on the cross to offer it to us. We mourn because we don't deserve his his righteousness. But he imputes his righteousness. He poured it out on me. And so the righteousness that I have is not my own, but it is through Jesus Christ. And it makes me want to cry. It makes me want to just say, I can't. I don't even deserve this. I don't deserve it. Because he's so good. And I'm so bad. Amen. I'm so bad. I'm so stinking bad. And he's so amazingly good. Amen. Oh, my brother's not over here because he's going to say, you're crying like a baby. The grace of God. We shouldn't abuse the grace of God. Amen? Amen. 
We shouldn't abuse the grace. So, so, so may, may, may sin abound. May, may, may we sin so that, I mean, grace will abound. You know, may, may we continue to sin so that grace will abound. May it never be. May it never be. May we look at sin for what it is. May we look at sin and squash it and cry over it. And say to our wives, Why, honey, I haven't been the person I need to be, but I, in, through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to change. And wives, say to your husbands every once in a while, Every once in a while, come on, give us some love. <laughs> Honey, I know I haven't been who I, who I needed to be. But through the grace of God and through the strength of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to become more like Christ. I'm going to respect you. I'm going to show you respect. Because all we want is that R-E-S-P-E-C-T. You know, that's all we want. That's all we want. So Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, he says, working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Not to receive, just, just ponder that. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't walk over his grace. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listen to you. This is God talking to you. At the acceptable time, I listen to you. Do you remember what that, that, that uh, uh, action step that I said, Talk to God at, at the acceptable time. I listen to you. God listens. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now. Now. Right now. Right, right this second. This is your day. This is the acceptable time. This is when you come to God and you say, Lord, I need you. I want you. Save me. He says, I'm here to save you. And then Paul goes on, and he begins to write. He says, he says, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, and in distress. The grace of God is never given to us to abuse it. Now Paul said something that's very important about restoration. He said this, he says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you is going to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He who, 22 years ago, he who came into my life because I was mourning over the garbage of my sin, he began a good work in me. And every day, he's perfecting it. Not in my goodness, but in the goodness of Jesus Christ. Recognition, repentance, and restoration. God wants to restore your heart. He wants to restore your life. He wants to make you a trophy for his glory. 
You think that Zach Johnson lifted up a trophy? Can I tell you what God's going to do? Because he's big. He's going to lift us up and say, you're my trophies. And you're champions in Jesus Christ, who's the true champion of our souls. So, Pastor, how do I apply this? It's okay to allow the grace of Christ to cleanse you and to restore you through godly sorrow. I'll end with Charles Ellicott. He said, The morning is not the sorrow of the world that works death for failure and suffering and the consequences of sin. But the sorrow which flows out in tears that cleanse, the mourning over sin itself, and the stain which it has left upon the soul, the promise they shall be comforted implies the special comfort which the mourner needs. Comforted, he shall be with the sense of pardon and peace, of restored purity and freedom. That is the mourning that will make you happy. That is the sorrow that will make you happy because it's a sorrow that will cleanse your soul through the comfort of the living God and through Jesus Christ, his son. God just doesn't make us cry to cry. God says your tears will be tears of joy. Let's pray. Hallelujah. God, thank you for revealing to me the necessity of godly sorrow. Thank you for showing me that mourning, especially spiritual mourning, is necessary for my restoration in Christ. I am truly sorry for the sin in my life. I recognize my need for Jesus to cleanse me of my sins. So today I choose to turn from those things that are trying to destroy me. I come to you needy and in tears. And these tears may not be physical, but my soul cries out to you. I cry out, restore me, O God. Comfort me, my Savior. Cleanse me of my wickedness. Lord, thank you for teaching me that I can never be truly happy and I can never be truly blessed without mourning over my sin. Because it is then that you comfort me with your grace. And you embrace me with your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more.